Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right, this week we have a, sort of an underground legend. I think of them as a legend anyway. It's the great Stephen Duffy. Now, something Stephen and I discuss in here is that he's had so many different chapters of his career that each one practically deserves its own episode or its own rock doc. There's the early days with Duran Duran, obviously. He's one of the founding members of Duran Duran, leaves well before they become what they became. He becomes kind of a synth-pop pioneer. His big hit is right here, Kiss Me. I think one of the greatest singles of the 80s, absolutely, especially in this expanded remixed form. This is essential, essential 80s music right here. He makes a synth-pop album under the name Dr. Calculus. He also starts The Lilac Time which has become his most enduring project. It's basically like this very gorgeous, beautiful folk pop outfit that has shifted in size and in, and in people over the years, but it's going strong. They just put out a new album last month called Dance Till All the Stars Come Down, and it's gorgeous. Anyone who's been paying attention to Lilac Time knows that this is the project where he funnels his most beautiful and sensitive and sweet sounding music. So it's a little bit of everything. He also did has soundtrack work on, on movies with John Hughes, you know, like Some Kind of Wonderful, and She's Having a Baby. It, I love that stuff, as you know. I got more to tell you about that at the end of this, by the way. So there's just a little bit of everything. He's Stephen Duffy. He's Stephen Tintin Duffy. He's just Duffy. He's just Tintin. In the 90s, he put out some power pop albums. Uh, that are also fantastic. He wrote some hits with Robbie Williams, of all people. He did a, a side project called Me, Me, Me with members of Blur. He and Nick Rhodes of Duran Duran get together later and come out with an album under the name The Devils that is great. Anyway, there is so much to cover here. It never ends, and all of it is good. Stephen Duffy is great at everything he does. And I hope you'll check out this new album, you can go back. I mean, Lilac Time albums go back to the 80s, and they're all wonderful. But this one in particular, Dance Till All the Stars Come Down, is so good. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this. He's somebody that I really love, and I've gotten a lot of requests for the years over the years. I know he's a beloved figure for many of you. He called me from his home in Cornwall, England. Nice t-shirt. Oh, thank you. <laughs> good taste. You like my shirt that that's a good sign <laughs> thanks for I doing this with me my pleasure yeah oh you were gonna say you saw them uh, i saw them the patty smith had a uh did a festival here at the uh, royal festival hall the meltdown and yeah. she put she put them on and and tom played with her and she also got richard hell over for um Really, to do a a, 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 oh. a a talk like it read read from his books. So, um, yep, sadly missed. I mean, he was a, he was yeah, just a shame they didn't carry on back when I they know. were hot back then. Oh, I know, I know. I um, I was in. Uh, I have regular. I have a regular job. In about I don't know, ten years ago, something like that. 
I was uh, in San Francisco on a business trip, and I, while I was there, I thought I'll see who's in town. And television happened to be playing that night. Wow. Richard Lloyd wasn't in the band that then, but um, so I hopped on the Bart and went and saw the television out of nowhere. And then, yeah, that was my one and only chance, like in my life. You know, now Tom's gone and just crazy. And uh, that's why it was always good to go and see Matthew Sweet to see which member of television he might have in the band. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. I know. I I've seen Matthew a few times back in the '90s in college before I really knew what television was. And I'm sure I've seen every member in his, you know, go yeah. through his band at some and, point. And of course, uh, Richard Hall and the Boydoids. He, did he, did yeah. he have Quine with him on the tour? Oh, no, that Lloyd Cole actually had Quine in the band. Did he really? What? And he was so loud compared to the rest of the band <laughs> that his <laughs> amplifier was in the dressing room, like way off stage. You know, they were playing theatres and uh, because he had the Fender Twin just you know, as hot yeah. as it could possibly be. <laughs> That's so funny. So where are you? I'm in Denver. I'm in Denver, Colorado. Okay. First and foremost, you have a you have a crazy history that I want to get into. I have lots of questions about it, but before we go there, I have to know how it feels to have recorded one of the most beautiful songs of all time, which is on the new album, The Last Day of the Last Days of Summer. We were lying on I was afraid of what we shared would become A pleasure drifting out of reach Please don't let me off the You said a word of love out of which we wrote a book Darling, be always outward bound. Set sail the whole world round. Leave no love left unfound. It is. So beautiful. I could sit here and talk to you about it for like an hour. It brings me kind of tears. Tell me about where that came from. Well, well, thank you very much. That's a, a, a what a great question. I wish I wish all the questions I'm ever asked were as good as that. That's just uh, <laughs> thank you, Steve. That makes me feel good. Can we just end now while we're on a high? Well, tell the, me about um, it first, then we'll end. Okay. Yes. <laughs> the I mess around with that uh, guitar figure which yes. i think is kind of like uh, john lennon julia he also did a song on the plastic owner band and there was a b-side so he's used that figure quite a few times and i used it on a song called oh god which was on um uh keep going a lilac time album of the late 90s so it's it's something that I've messed around with. It's that sort of that picking style, and suddenly another song jumped out of it, and I had the idea of the last day of the last days of summer. It kind of 
it felt like you know the, the, a Don Henley song that had never been written or something. Mm -hmm. You know, it's got that you know the voice of summer mixed yeah. with the the last perfect evening or something. Oh. It had that sort of. It sounded like Ooh, sounded like a, yeah. it, it should be a classic old song. You know, from yeah. the from back in the day. Mm -hmm. And so I had that line and I had that thing, that picking thing, and it was sounding good. And I was thinking, this is, this is going to be a good song, but yeah. then you've got, you've got to finish it. So the, yeah. the pressure was on then, you know, what, because I've already used the title as the first line. Where do I go from uh -huh. here? I've got uh -huh. no idea. <laughs> and then, then I got, you know, darling, I think, okay, I'm, I'm there. I've got, I've, mm -hmm. I've got to the course. This is great be always outward bound and for the next six weeks i was just it, it it i did so many nautical notes i had this this boat was going everywhere it was all sorts of boats <laughs> i was you know i was starboard i was port i was it was just all over the place and uh, but finally i whittled it down to this but it but because i knew that it was it was going to be good it was, uh, you know, it really, I did put myself under enormous pressure. And it's pretty long as well. It's about six minutes. I should have mm -hmm. just stopped mm -hmm. a bit earlier. No. And, uh, but, yeah, I think, you know, I got there. But it was, it, it, it really was tough. And uh, <laughs> It's so then, pretty. But then I knew it was a song you could just sing by yourself. Yeah. You didn't need anything else. Yeah. And that that's when you know that you've really got a good one, you know. Mm -hmm. Although quite quite often you think you've got a good song and it's only years later that you realize that you were kind <laughs> of just overtaken with enthusiasm for the sound of your own voice. Yeah. Sometimes the crowd lets you know one way or the other. I wonder on your website you talk about having that that um that phrase kind of running through your head that uh be for let's see, be forever talking what what's the be the, always outward bound be always outward bound jeez i couldn't think of it right that second be always outward bound and i'm wondering when you are writing a song and you have a phrase that you know is good like this you think why well, do you do you is it important to you to marry that phrase with just the right song i mean if you you can't put it on like a a mediocre track you can't put it on a on a filler track, you got to save it for the right moment, the right tune. Am I right? I mean, well, the, the lucky thing about the "Be Always Outward Bound" is that just came as I was writing the song. Oh, I, I thought that maybe before. that came first. No, okay. all I had was on the last day of the last days of summer. Okay, and you know, take it from there. Where's this? You know, where's it going to go? Yeah. So, so, yeah. and that's that's the fun of it. Uh, is that? Um, you know, it's the it's 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 like a a puzzle. Yeah. You know, yes. and are you going are you going to get it out at the end? You know, are you going to win? Yeah. And if yeah. you don't win, then then you leave it and you come back to it another day. You know, but I I, I think this, yeah, this it probably took me a month to kind of Oof. because otherwise, if it had been more than a month, I'd have been sailing around on that ship. <laughs> but, you know, or, or, or she would have she'd been out there on that boat it's like she'd have been come on you gotta reel the boat in right 
<laughs> I love it. Um, okay. It, yes. It, every time I listen to it, it gives me goosebumps. And I just think this is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life. And I love that it's six minutes. It could be 16 minutes. Thank I wouldn't you. care. I love it just the way it is. Yeah. Now, I, similarly, So Far Away, number two, also on the album, um, is probably the most second most beautiful thing I've ever heard. mentioned on your website that it was sort of a play off of an earlier song called so far away which i didn't recognize off the top of my head and when i listened to the when i listened back to the old the original so far away it's a really nice song but maybe i'm dumb i didn't i don't know what the correlation between the two are other than they're both just lovely so tell me about this why does why does you need another song with that title are they connected they're not at all connected, and okay, and I'd good. even I'd even kind of forgotten what the first "So Far Away" uh, was about. But th this that the first one was about the distance in time, you know. Mm -hmm. That in fact, I, I was sitting around with uh, Rick Menk, who plays with Matthew Sweet, and we were talking about the birds. And I, when would this have been? It would have been like the early nineties. And that, and I realized, you know, when you when you starting to think, oh, that was, you know, that was so far away that time. It's like how how we how come we're still talking about it? And that's where the start of that song came from. This was more about the distance, about people feeling distant from uh, society, or kind of feeling outcast, or yet or feeling alone. So it was like feeling so far away from, you know your people or, or any yeah. people yeah so yeah. that this was more about alienation and well yes that's about it you know we, we've yeah. got to how it it's kind of an encouraging song it's saying you know you 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 know you will yeah yeah it's uh, your it's, people which, which is the kind of a thing that goes through the whole album really yes is you know that you will find your tribe i love that saying and um i love that sentiment as well and there's this this i just feel like this song is sort of a uh, i mean the lilac time feels like the project of yours where you seem to as we were saying earlier about putting puzzles together where you seem to sort of channel your most beautiful or lovely or sensitive or whatever the right word might be uh muses or thoughts and impulses seem to go in the lilac time area and this is a great 
this album is a, is just a shining example of you at your most i don't know sweet whatever the word might be um i think were you go ahead were you feeling no, especially I've... like sentimental or uh well i said I... it's really special we released the last album in um, 2019 uh-huh. and i had a, a makeshift raft i'd started writing that but that was the only song that i had that was a carryover from that uh-huh. so we we put out the last one um returned to us in 2019 and i went out and i did three or four little shows in record shops and one club in birmingham and so we were thinking of you know going you know playing out yeah. and you know starting that up again because you know i was a young man then of 59 so i mean the world was a, was ahead of me as leonard cohen might have said and often did every night and then covid came along and then which kind of derailed i mean obviously it derailed all the children who were taken out of school and it de- derailed lots of people in their 20s who were just c- coming out of college you know it's derailed so many uh people yeah. but it kind of stopped that it stopped what i thought was going to be mm. uh, the, the future and i didn't want to write and record a record well i wrote because i always write but i didn't want to do a lockdown project so i waited for it to be over before recording it so i had i had these songs mm. and i let me stop you for a second why did you not want to do a lockdown record what do you mean by that well you just felt that a lot of people who had been touring they took this as an opportunity to you know to to get into the studio or, sure or to did, record yeah. and to um you know that people were sending files all over the place to other people and there was all these you know which was great good but but, but i kind of felt and which is what happened that there would be there's going to be there was going to be loads of lockdown records mm-hmm. yeah. coming out so i thought i'll wait uh, to make sure that this wasn't one of those projects yeah and also to see what 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 happened to the world yeah because who know if the record shops were going to open again you know or who knows who knew what was going to happen so that gave me a time and it also it made me think about uh a hard rain's going to fall by bob dylan and how because of the cuban missile crisis he wrote well, this is what he said anyway it's i it's i think it's actually untrue but he he wanted every line every line could have been its own song mm-hmm. and uh and so i was using that idea of the, this you've got to write all the the songs as if it's the cuban missile crisis or something mm-hmm. every song has got to be uh, uh shouldn't have any loose ends you've got to tie up every song you don't want it you don't want your last song to be kind of doomy Mm-hmm. you know you want to go out you what you want mm-hmm. to offer hope mm-hmm. even if we are going to be blown up you know what i mean it's sort of mm-hmm. uh are these songs going to be you know write every song as if it's the last song ever written kind of mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. and make and make it good and then i got to recording it and i realized that our albums sometimes take a little longer because I play the bass and the drums. So obviously I have to build it all up myself. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that I was doing that and I loved doing that. And perhaps I loved it more than people loved listening to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that I, and 
that I was just doing it because I because it made me feel good. Yeah. So I decided yeah. not to do any bass or drums, thinking that maybe that would be quicker. But it made everything longer <laughs> because I had to because then everything was so exposed. You know the guitar. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, the voice, and I hadn't, and obviously we, we hadn't played, so I had to rehearse as if I was going on tour, and then I had to play the songs as if I'd done a tour, uh, just to get the you know the chops to sure. get it all working, you know, get the fingers of going. Yeah, and uh, so it, it was to try and the amount of time it took me to make these sound like they were just knocked off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, was, uh, you give yourself these challenges and these kind of parameters in which to play under. And then, um, yeah, and then it becomes like a job. It's like you said, it's all these uh, all this, all these rules to make it sound effortless. I want to ask you about the makeshift raft because that's that's a, obviously kind of a political song, especially the, you know, the line about, you know, like blacks and gays. reading the the um, the write-up on it on your website you're you're feeling what a lot of us in america are feeling at least the ones who are intelligent enough to feel it this frustration with trump and trumpism and the whole movement and uh seeing kind of the decline of i don't know intelligent thinking or empathy whatever it might be is that what you're feeling as you're coming up with makeshift draft why do you wonder how how do you go home if you have all of these horrible thoughts? You know, how are you how how do you sit around and when you're kind of hating most of the rest of the world? And it's it's just astonishing how, you know, the the they've brought up the trans rights thing. They don't care about that. They're they're trying to roll back gay rights, aren't they? They're trying to roll back gay marriage, and it's just like, what what on earth are they? You know, there's so you know. Have you noticed that your your house is on fire? You know, there's a pot. It's like there are so many more things to be thinking about now that involve the cooperation of the whole world, yeah. and you're trying to make divisions with your neighbors, your neighbor country, and but your actual neighbors. You know, it's just this is not the time for any division and it's and it's just uh it's i find it i just find it very odd yeah. especially coming from that 60s 70s uh era of hope you just thought that things were going to get more liberal and and uh you know well i suppose even loving you know yeah yeah 
so it's it's about that, but it starts with that that poor boy, Alan, the Syrian boy, who was photographed being carried dead from uh, a beach, mm-hmm. and I just I I just thought that was going to be the turning point of this whole yeah. uh, uh, refugee problem, but I mean it it's, it it wasn't. Things are worse now than then, yeah. and. Uh, and so I wrote that, and I thought, well, how on earth am I going to write a song uh, uh, this heavy? Mm-hmm. So I just left it. I thought, I can't. I don't know what's going to happen with that. And then I started thinking about the, you know, the why, the causes of this, which which was the Syrian civil war at that point. So I wrote a bit about that, and and I was thinking, well, no, this this really isn't getting any lighter. This yeah. could be the heaviest song in the world. And then then it, you know, then. Uh, so I thought, I know, I yodel. So I've got that bit in the middle. I just thought, if I, I'll break things up, break the ice uh-huh. with a bit of yodeling. But unfortunately, it's not in a good key for my yodeling. So, <laughs> but luckily, Claire kind of yodeled. But and then, I in the end, I turn it round to the invent the sky uh-huh. to house the stars, invent fingers and guitars. I'll see you yeah. on my handlebars, sing me songs of love. So, so it's like, oh, thank. The Lord for that. We've met, we've actually finally managed to finish this song on yeah. a on a on a moment of hope. But and it's probably the yodeling that got me there, you know. <laughs> but also, I managed to say uh, Allen Ginsberg's "USA," which yeah. I thought was a nice sort of way of sort of saying, no, you, you know, you do remember that you know it doesn't have to be this yeah. way, you know. Yeah. That you know you that the great. Uh, liberal free thinkers, you know, it, it was. I think it, it, I've had quite. I had quite a few people's USA before I fit with the uh, stuck okay. with Allen Ginsberg. In okay. fact, I think I even I even mentioned Allen Ginsberg in that first so far away mm. on the other. So that's the, right. It's the second uh, showing for Allen. Let I mean, me ask you, but, I, oh, I have bought all of his um, journals and have you all of, you know. And he wrote like he seemed to write a book a day. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I kind of I started reading them, so I feel obliged to carry on because sure. I mean, apart from him, I think I may be the only person who's read them. <laughs> that might be. I'm curious how you go about. Um, I, I mean, your career. If you take the lilac time out of it, yeah, your career has gone down about a million different roads. And the the Lilac Time is one of them. And when I say roads, I mean like stylistic roads. There's the power pop. There's the Brit pop. There's the synth pop. There's the there's the Lilac Times. There's the folk pop. And there's the solo stuff. It just there's Robbie Williams. We'll get to all of this in a second. But it you've done a million different things. But the one kind of fairly consistent through line is the Lilac Time, which is the folk poppy route. Yes. And I wonder if. At this stage in your career, in the early 60s, do you, um, if you had the urge to make another Britpop album like you would have in the 90s, would you, and if you did, would you still, you wouldn't call it the Lilac Time, I'm guessing. Would you go back to one of your other monikers? Would you just put it out under your own name? Do you allow that self, your kind of, that yourself that kind of freedom? Or do you feel like, at this point, brand's a bad word, but... My my brand, my thing is the Lilac Time, and I'm staying on this road. Uh, quite often, you think if if only it had just been the Lilac Time, and perhaps 
the reason why people uh, aren't interested in so much in the lilac time is because of kiss me. You know, they can't imagine the guy from Duran and kiss me did is now and has been a purveyor of sort of country folk for since 1987 or whenever it was. So uh, because first impressions are everything. Like when I worked with Rob, we, we, I spent, th we spent three years. We did some tracks for his greatest hits. We did an album. Then we did a tour. And obviously I, I was in his world, but as soon as I left after we, you know, it sold 8 million records or something, but as soon as th that ended and I went back to the Lilac time, it was, it was the same old thing, you know, ex Duran Duran, Tintin, you know, the, the, even after being in incredibly, you know, having this enormous success that, doesn't it doesn't take away from the one thing that people know about you from way back you know or the first time they heard of you and uh i think that perhaps you know people who know me for the other work well it is it's just unfortunate that because people are fickle aren't they you know that that people who you know like bill callahan or uh sg goodman or joan shelley might be a little you know they might not necessarily think that the guy from kiss me is going to make a record for them you know i did that record the devils with nick rhodes i asked you about this and that was that was in 2001 i think or two We always talk about doing more records because we, we have such fun when we're together, you know, because I've known him since he was 16. Mm. And then, so we decided, well, let's do, let's do another record or let's do something to, and re-release the old record or, or whatever. Yeah. Let's finish the film. We've got all of this film knocking about. So I wrote a song hoping that we could get John in as well. And uh, so I still... It's not as if I, so I wrote this sort of song about, you know, I'll write a song and then we'll, it was all about how we did it because I wrote the songs and then we sort of jammed them all together. We jammed together with a, with a really funny drum machine. And, uh, you're talking so about the Devils about album now? Yeah. Okay. No, I'm talking about back, back in the day with the, with oh, back Durant. in the day and Duran. Okay. Oh, yeah, interesting. So 78. Yeah. And, uh, so I wrote a song about 1978 thinking this would be, so it's not as if I only sit around and write, you know folk songs uh -huh. and this was quite a doomy sort of synth 
Bowie thing. But I do, uh, I can understand why people are drawn to the electronic music, especially now with the computers. It is, it, it's very enticing. It's very, you know, it puts its arms around you and says, it's all, you don't need to put any sound through the air. Mm-hmm. I've, it's all in this box. Yeah, right. And, it, <laughs> and it's, and you, it's kind of like some sort of, instead of it being the acoustic guitar puzzle writing songs, it becomes sort of like a computer puzzle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and all of those sounds and um, those synth sounds and stuff, it's all there now. Yeah. When we did The Devils, we actually used proper old-fashioned synths and remembered how impossible it is to keep everything in tune. <laughs> You know, and how hard it was to make them sort of talk to each other in time. Yeah. Uh, but I can, you know, I, so I completely understand why records sound like they do because it's, it's well, it's, you don't have to go into a studio, but it, there's something sort of beguiling that leads you into right. sitting around and messing around with all of these these sounds. You know. Yeah. Whereas my thing has always been, you know, writing the song and the song standing up, and. Yeah. Uh, and that, that kind of that simple approach. Yeah. So I had some questions about the devils, but it, you mentioned these sort of side projects. What about the me, me, me project with Alex that, that Blur would... and everything? So he said, how do you do? She said, talk about things. He said, he said, what do you do? She said, I do anything. He said, let's go hanging around, bang around looking at things. Yeah, I, why didn't they invite me to Wembley? We could have I don't you. know. They're, they're kind of enjoying a, a I, Dave Roundtree from Blur was on here earlier this year. And because he had just put out a solo album, and he was like, Yeah, I, you know, I'd love to tour this, but our summer is going to be filled up with Blur. And when he's saying that to me, I'm thinking he's talking about because they're one of the biggest bands in the world. They could play a couple of festivals and make millions of dollars. And I I have no idea, new album. He won't, He didn't tell me that. He just said, oh, I'll be busy with Blur. Come to find out, he's gonna. they're going to drop this great album on us. Yeah, what, how did you figure out Me, Me, Me? Where did that come from? And the unfortunate thing about the Ballad of Darren is I was looking for a release date because we, it's at <laughs> our own label, so we can move things around. And it was going to come out in August, and then the, the albums turned up, the vinyl. And I said, let's move the album forward. And I looked for, I found a date where nobody... You know, I was looking now, are there any old white guys releasing records? <laughs> no, not on the 21st. And then then the young old white guys decide to release a record so we don't get any reviews. The whole 
the width of media has been taken up completely oh, with blur. Man. Oh, that's too bad. There should be room for both. They're both beautiful. We, I first met uh, Alex because we both lived in Covent Garden, mm. which was a very noisy place to live. You know, they put, they emptied the people are there partying all the night, and then the bins get emptied at four o'clock in the morning every day. Mm. So it was kind of like a, a chaotic place to live. But I saw him in the supermarket, in 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 the booze aisle. You know, would be there, and. Uh, and then I don't know how we actually made, we'd wave at each other. So we obviously knew each other. And then, then we became friends. And he one day said, I've got to do this, um, a little piece of music for Damien Hurst's film. He'd made this little film. So we went into the studio with Justin from Elastica. And it was kind of just like a 12 bar thing, but it was such fun to do. And it, and it really was like one of the first things that I'd done it was like a first or second take it was quite unbelievable really? uh but of course you know it was it was a little bit uh people do say it's the worst record in the Britpop years you know <laughs> and it's it's a crowded field i've got to say <laughs> uh, so uh, it's just, is it just the hanging around is that the only song around, you guys did hanging around tabitha's island hollywood wives oh, okay yeah, there's it others was, it was three, just those three songs okay okay but uh, it, it's a good. We couldn't have carried on because you know the amount of alcohol. We would have. <laughs> I don't think we would have finished an album without rehab. Yeah, I bet I can imagine that. Um, okay, you mentioned "Kiss Me." I wanted to ask you about this because um, it feels like for the first. I mean, it's you leave Duran in '79 ish. Yeah, and the, your first solo album, Ups and Downs, I think comes out in '85. So you've got eight you've got five or six years here where there's it's just singles and kiss me to my ears the only it's kind of, it reminds me of um new order's perfect kiss where the only uh appropriate version of this song is the 12 inch version because it's yeah. that's the best recording if you ask me the remix um where did the why was that just a one-off single were you working on an album where did you just have a deal that only allowed for the one where did it come from well the, the strange thing is that i left Duran uh, because they wanted to be more like japan and that life in tokyo and i was quite happy with us being sort of an experimental art school band noise you know it was weird with the drum machine and all of that and I liked that weirdness. Uh, but then I, I made another, I, I released, I um, put this band Oh, together. sure, the Hawks. Yeah, I was going to ask yeah, you about that too. The, obviously, Five Believers is yeah. what we were called.
We were called obviously by Believers, and we changed our name because the producer couldn't fit it in, onto a cassette box. <laughs> if, if we'd have been called obviously by Believers, then you know when orchestral maneuvers in the dark came along, we'd have been part of the crowd. That's true. Uh, and so we were kind of like a guitar band, but we were it, we were very disorganized, and uh, so nothing came of it. And so I thought, well, I'll start something new. And I thought I'll either be an acoustic troubadour, which would have been the beginning of the lilac time, but yep. in 1980, or I'll record this song, Kiss Me, try and get a good version of that, because the Hawks had tried it, but it didn't suit a guitar band. Oh. So I was walking to this record shop on Hearst Street in Birmingham called Rockers, and a guy called, called Mulligan, who was in a band called Fashion, who Duran had supported the, on, in the last gig that I did with them at this club called Barbarella's. And he was coming out of the shop. It, it was Christmas Eve or something. And he said, Let, let's go and have a drink. What are you doing? I said, I don't, I, I'm going to either do this or that. And he said, well, we've, they've just got to deal with Arista and they had all of this equipment. So by January, we'd kind of got a rough idea of, of Kiss Me of um how it went you know how it would sound and his uh, publisher gave us some money to to do a demo and we spent too much money so the guy had to then get a deal we, and he, he sent out the tape and i'd learned i'd I put tintin on the on the label because uh you know obviously five believers was too long so i kept I went for something small this time and it, and it was a band uh and it was actually listened to by this guy at wea who looked like Tintin. He had like mm. the short spiky hair. And um, and then Sire picked it up, Seymour remixed it with Francois Kaborkin. But you're right, it, the, the amazing thing about that record was it, it's an electro record, but it has live drums on it. Mm, There's really? a, a, a real, a live kit played by Stoker, who was um, in Dex's Midnight Runners and then in the Bureau. And Dick Davis is playing a Simmons kit and there's no drum machines at all so it's mm -hmm. just and these two guys were in the room playing together so it has that sort of old-fashioned synergy or uh, uh, you know that liveness and, and they did it and it wasn't edited it was just they did a few takes and that was that and then um we played the synths over the top and so it was kind of a strangely old-fashioned uh record that sounded new yeah yeah. So, so there was something special about it, and the, um, just the strange thing is, why didn't we make any more records? I mean, I know <laughs> they were signed to a, yeah. they were signed to Arista, and Stoker was was signed to WA, which was which is where I then was WA and Sire. And I look back and just think that it was such a, a big record, like uh -huh. in certain in in the clubs, it wasn't a big chart record. Yeah. Well, I think it got to the Billboard dance charts and stuff like that. But it was, uh, it's like, Ed, why didn't somebody say, that was really good. Why didn't you go and do some more, you know, maybe an album? Yes. yes. I wanted but, the same thing. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's only really occurred to me recently because then the fashion didn't uh, become anything. The Bureau split up and I was sort of flailing around uh -huh. trying to find my uh, my voice with all of these synthesizers and and failing and not really enjoying it mm. and then so it was and i put out a few singles and then when i signed to virgin 10 
they said, well, why don't you re-record Kiss Me? And I, and, and I was 24 at that point, and I thought, you mean that, that ancient thing that I wrote when I was 19? Are you crazy? <laughs> and we did it with the, with the Art of Noise. Oh, I didn't realize that sound that yeah. makes sense now that I think about how that sounds. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I kind of so it kind of went from being a, a straight ahead sort of dance electro thing to being, uh-huh. you know, fair light thing. And so I think it sounds kind of gimmicky, although it does have a, you know, I can understand its its charm. You know, uh-huh. it's it's very uh, uh it sounds very jolly. Yeah, I, mean. I prefer I prefer the original versus the yeah. eighty-five version. Um, you so I have a lot of questions about this then too. Is Unkiss This Kiss, which is another one of your great singles, if you ask me. Is that some kind of a response to kiss me? Are you did you or is it just coincidental that the word kiss happens in both of them? I was watching the in in Burma, in Birmingham in Britain at that point you only had 3 or 4 television channels and on Sunday evening that that had religious uh, programs on so I don't know what I mean everybody must have turned off but I, one day I was watching and this guy Kenneth Williams who was a comedian over here in films but also kind of quite a, a he used to be a serious actor very knowledgeable about poetry and he, he was on this religious program and quoted a poem that had that ended with the lines you must not unkiss that kiss you cannot untouch that touch and i thought well if ever there's a song that, you know, that there it is and also it sounded like i just thought it was it you know 
nobody else is going to write an answer song to kiss me, but maybe I should myself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I did that. Um, so I, that's, that's where I got that from. Okay. Uh, in between, there was Icing on the Cake, which was a hit over here. Yeah. That was one. That was the first song that Stephen Street. Uh, it was his first top twenty hit. He was and on Ste here last year. We talked a little bit about it. He's. I love him. Great yes. producer. Speaking of Blur, um, I you on your uh, I love my friends album. You've got that song Eucharist that almost yes. feels as if it's that first verse, especially sounds almost like a bio. I was born in poverty. When I was about 19 I wrote a song called Kiss Me And soon it was payday A terraced house in the country I thought that would do for me It seemed to be the lilac time But when the lilac died I went back to town and cried Need someone who'll always love me The day after someone dies you wake a little less alive Why do the wicked seem to survive? I was in a band and then I wrote this song kiss me and it brought me a lot of success. And then I wasn't sure what to do. And what, what were you, did you feel like you needed to kind of nail down your story in that song? What, what sparked the idea for that? Well, that's a, that's another song produced by Stephen street. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, what, what, uh, why I wrote that song is that the record before that was called Duffy and I recorded it in North Carolina with um, Mitch Easter and Velvet Crush. Mm -hmm. And I was, kind of, and there were songs like Sugar High. La 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 
there, there were songs about about pop music that there was that's the one with london girls on it isn't it so the, you know the, it's very much uh self-referential in that it's talking about music mm-hmm. and and about that sort of scene in london needle mythology and all of that and uh my my father had died and i hadn't kind of i didn't grieve and i'd kind of sorted things out and my arm stopped working i couldn't hold a plectrum i was about to go on tour and this doctor i went to a doctor thinking that it was tendonitis and she said i think i think you're just depressed i don't know so she said she sent me to this therapist and um and she said you know you've been holding on you know that's why you can't hold the plectrum you've got to kind of let go this is a long story but the uh the reason why i suddenly started writing like that is i played she said what you know can i hear your record so i played her the duffy record and i went in the next week and i said what did you think and she says i think you're you're writing in a code that i don't understand she said i don't you know i just don't understand the lyrics Wow. like the majority of the lyrics at all because you know, and why sh- should she you know she was a 75 hungarian <laughs> woman and uh so i kind of thought well if she's not getting it maybe i could you know simplify things and because you know when you're in therapy you have to kind of spell out everything go through everything to somebody who you've never met so in, in a way that you know i start that's why i started writing in this sort in the style that i kind of that i is now you know since then that that's how i write you know i mm-hmm. hardly ever write in the code that confuses 75 year old hungarian women <laughs> i uh, i wondered where that came from and what the motivation was that makes a lot of sense interesting that she would be the one who was the sort of gatekeeper of your music at that moment you know let me hear your music so i can understand you better and then i'll ref- i'll critique it for you and we'll decide mm-hmm. That's an interesting yeah. way to go. I, um, and I come, I come in. She says, "You are obviously completely confused." Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. if, if you're yeah. talking to yourself like that in your work, right. it, what, what? No wonder you're depressed. Right. Um, okay, we got to talk about movies for a minute. You're key in a couple of John Hughes movies, specifically that are massive in my life. Uh, she loves me. Is Sound is the soundtrack to one of the greatest screen kisses of all time. managed by tarquin i was he's been on here a couple of times okay i assume because he's he 
you know those those John Hughes movies. It's not a stretch to say they made me who I am. They are the most influential, some of the most influential pieces of art that made me and lots of people in my generation know how to think about music, talk about music, talk to each other, deal with our feelings, deal with our parents, relate to life. And your music is a big factor in that. Tell me about, um, you know, she loves me. Where did the, did he come to you and say, "I want to fit your song into this movie"? Uh, she loves me. What the, the there is actually a version that. So my first three singles were "Kiss Me," "Hold It." No, th those were the first two, and there uh -huh. was a third that never came out, and it was "She Loves Me." And uh -huh. um, obviously. Tar Tarquin must have passed this on to John or something, and they, and they thought, well, this this fits. And then we re-recorded it with, and I've forgotten his name. Who the guy who produced the whole record? That's actually a very good record. Is that Ferris Buller? No, uh, some kind of wonderful, some kind of wonderful. Yeah, yeah, and that because that's got uh, Jesus and Mary Chain on it. It's kind yeah. of a very interesting record. Yep, and Shelley's uh, on there, and yeah. And uh, I think we'd already started the Lilac Time at this point, but uh, you know, I, I just went back and uh, and re-recorded re it, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, and it, yeah, it really did fit in there. Yeah, but John was very, he was very encouraging to a lot of musicians, like the like Nick from the Dream Academy, and yeah, who 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 started his uh, film writing because that's what he does now; he writes film music. Uh -huh. And um, but it, you know, John would say, you know, we ought, we ought to do a film. You know, you should write all of the songs because uh -huh. it would fit in with, um, you know, be, because your songwriting is like what I'm doing in film. We we never got around to it, but we certainly we every time a film came out, we would be sent the film and we'd go and do mm -hmm. some um, do, write write some songs. But it, those were the only two that were used. Mm -hmm. But um, we would sit around and you know watching films without any music is just is just so crazy especially john hughes films and it, we kind of got very blasé about it. it's like oh no, i don't know if i can uh, <laughs> i don't know if i can watch an, another uh -huh. one my brother my brother watched what was the oh, planes trains and automobiles maybe uh -huh. Uh -huh. and um he said he said he's blown it this time this is just I don't know. This is just terrible. <laughs> so, so I never watched it. We we did we did actually put, hand in a couple of songs, uh -huh. but it was uh, you know we were you know we were certainly uh, very lucky to. But you know we it, we felt that at the time. I mean, you uh -huh. must have felt it too. I mean, he he was so important. Yeah. But with Breakfast Club was it was the first big one, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I think Sixteen Candles think, um, came before yeah, that, but Breakfast, yeah. they all, uh, it's funny, my daughter uh, and her girlfriend two nights ago watched Breakfast Club for the first time, and we were talking about it last night. And uh, it, they were it has, did, did they think that it was incredibly old-fashioned of its time? That's what I was trying to figure out, because when I was explaining to her, to them, that it was such a it made a huge impression one of the most you know impactful movies of my life they're like really really i wonder why and i was like oh you don't understand this movie taught me how to be a teenager you know and uh they liked it but they didn't it didn't hit them obviously the same way it hit me but i you know i 
it was I would imagine they find something a, years a, ago. a lot of the a lot of the uh, some of the dialogue they would find quite uh, you know repulsive and shocking I'm sure yeah now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um because, you know I don't think you, you wouldn't get a film like that made I don't no, think no they don't do that anymore um and and I gotta and it it saddens me sometimes when people like Molly Ringwald who I love is apologetic for it i figure let's just that's where we were at the time you know it's fine we don't we don't have to you don't have what was she's apologizing about that do you think she could explain what john luke goddard's king lear was about (laughs) that would be that's a good question um okay the other one is dr calculus and now on the soundtrack to she's having a baby it's called full of love but i think your title of it is uh Perfume in France or something? Perfume from Spain. Um, that's what Frank Sinatra sings in I Get a Kick Out of You instead of saying um, you know I get a kick from I don't I get no kicks from cocaine uh-huh. he calls it perfume from Spain oh. so I thought that's an interesting uh, that's I... how to write a drug song you know learn from the masters and well, that uh, makes some sense real quick because I, I got as much as I love your song it's in the strangest most unnecessary scene of that great movie she's having a baby and where he's going down the corridors, the hallways with the baby looking for the mom or something. And um, it's like a, like more like a fever dream than it is anything in, based in reality, but it's so good. And the song is great. And I've never, I don't, I was Dr. Calculus meant to be just another, let's try this. I've done the single. I, I like synths with kiss me. Let's see if I can come up with more and call myself Dr. Calculus. The, I met up with uh another guy from Birmingham called uh, Roger Freeman, who was in a band called Pig Bag. Oh, who, I love Pig Bag. Yes. Yeah. So they had yeah. that big hit. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, I found this club. You've got to come along to it. Uh, the, you know, the music is crazy. And it was, and the reason why it was also crazy was because it was, it was like an early ecstasy club. Uh-huh. And so all the, all the kids there were on, were on drugs. And so we had this absolutely ludicrous idea of making a record kind of based around that that's that club and that scene, but with a trombone. <laughs> which uh, so basically we invented rave music, but decided to saddle it with like trombones because he was the trombone player. And yeah. so uh, so it was all, so basically it was like electronic music with trombone riffs. Uh huh. 
So it's a, you know, there's an if if people like trombone music, it's a, there's a <laughs> there's the a one. dance record for you. <laughs> great now tell me okay so i first of all i gotta tell you we we have some patreon supporters and when i tell them who i'm i tell them who i'm interviewing and they're uh allowed to submit some questions if they want and i got a couple for you as you can imagine there were a lot of questions around duran duran which i you've already talked about that you probably get asked about it a lot so we might get there but anyway um how did philip hopwood wants to know well first of all we we try to sensitively cover the business side on here. Um, he assumes, and so did I, that probably your work with Robbie Williams might have been the most, the biggest financial success of your career. Now, Robbie, as you know, is somebody who just didn't stick over here. Um, we yeah. didn't get it. But I've heard nothing but great things about him. In fact, Tessa Niles was on here a couple of years ago. And she was saying what a, she toured with him and he was just the loveliest. So, yeah. you know, giving and so nice and everything. And uh, this was kind of shocking to me. Everyone who's ever been on here, who's worked with him, loves him. How did you yeah. enter Robbie's orbit? See, we were all around um, London at that point. Actually, it goes back to me, me, me. When me, me, me were on top of the pops, we scraped into the top 20 at 19. Okay. and. And Rob was at number two or number one with his cover of George Michael's Freedom. So after the show, we, you know, we all went back to a club or something. And so we were in the moving in the same world. I think actually before that, he he jumped out. We, we both lived in Notting Hill at that point, and he jumped out of a car one day and said, "You know, uh, I I know who you are. We should write together." And I thought. And by that point, he'd done um, the first album with Guy, and I thought EMI would have me assassinated if I kind of decided to, to pursue this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we were around. When they were recording a, a, an album, we were all in the same studio. I was making I Love My Friends. So we knew each other. And then, uh, completely separately to this, I, I met uh, Claire, who's now my wife, um and we we were brought together to write songs together uh but the producer of her record was also producing rob and when when he needed a keyboard player and, and a vocalist he said why don't you take, use claire so claire who had done one album with us with the lilac time in 1999 i looking for a day in the night suddenly was in the rob band and she gave rob um looking for a day in the night and he, he really loved uh, Family Coach and a few of those songs. But we didn't, you know, and we would talk and we'd, I'd go, I'd sit, go and see the gigs and stuff. But, you know, there, there was, they were, they were so huge that they didn't need other writers. And then he, then when he split up with Guy, when they fell out, he said, you know, I'll come over beside a little studio right at the top of Air Studios. It was just a little, office a little cupboard really and he thought he'd come over and we'd write like a, a depressing folk song and that would be that but i'd just done the devil's record and i said and he saw all the synths and stuff knocking back he said what are you doing and I, so i gave him the record and he went away that night and he and he phoned the next day and said i want to do that i want to make i want to do electro so this record 
the devils which was kind of you know, probably only sold 500 copies but one of the copies made was given to rob and it was like yeah let's do that so that's why we did radio since yeah. since then we did this whole electro thing and and then it was more like he said well let's let's do a ballad let's do an acoustic ballad so we just we did misunderstood so he'd kind of say let's yeah. do this let's do that yeah. but my whole thing with rob was because it's you know since since sin i just turned on the machines and it was going bada 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 uh-huh. uh, like a sequence and he and he sang the whole verse just over that oh my god and i thought well if you, if you can come up with that those top lines so easily you know here's the bass yeah and so he he played the bass and he played tripping which was a, a number two hit he, by playing don da, 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 boom 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 you know sit at a synth and it kind of come up with something we'd build a song about that so it was like basically let's get let's you know encouraging to write hooks on every instrument we had you know uh-huh. uh but it, it you know it was three years i think i spent but i spent a couple of years in la with him and and then we did this huge tour and in fact the first gig i did um as the the musical director was live eight where pink oh. floyd did the- Gig. yes i remember this. and um and te- that's testinals was on yeah, that that's right oh my so gosh kind of, so the gig before that i'd played at cecil sharp house with the lilac time to you know to probably i don't know 500 people and then the next gig was was live eight but well, the great thing was i got to see pink floyd yeah yeah the last i'm sure that's the last time that'll happen well, yeah. I, I'm just imagining Robbie Williams on tour, and there's always a section in any show where they they introduce the band. And over here, on I don't know if you're playing synths or guitar or what. Over here, we have Stephen Tin Tin Duffy, and everyone's like, "The Kiss Me guy? He's yeah. Uh, that doesn't make any sense, you know. It doesn't make any sense wherever I turn up, you know that." <laughs> <laughs> that's why i stay in as much as possible just so as not to confuse no, people no, no, no. okay i want to read another question for you and i'm going to read the whole thing because uh it's from one of our supporters chris slemp who has been asking and encouraging for years for me to get you on the show so i'm glad we finally did this he says because i was a massive fan of the debut album at the time i still have the vinyl I was surprised at the turn and direction to folk rock. While the songwriting in Lilac Time is consistently excellent, that certainly didn't feel like a commercial decision. So would love to know would love to hear about what drove the new direction. Also interested why there aren't 
or why there isn't more touring. And maybe it has something to do with what you just said. Maybe packing houses of 500 people isn't uh, good enough. I don't know. But the reason why we why we started was just it it certainly wasn't a commercial um move because it took us no, nobody most of the the industry at that point was going stock Aitken, waterman rick astley mm -hmm. so point. it was you know a strange time to start a folk rock band and i was thinking this recently we we started in 86 and Island Records had probably only dropped Fairport Convention in 1981. Mm. So, I mean, they people were not you know, the, knocking on the door for a, a folk rock revival. That's true. And so, so that, I thought, this is a brilliant idea. Let's do this. And uh, But you know, we, we, we got going. But the, the strange thing is, and I've been writing this, we're, we're doing this book about the 11 Lilac Time albums, we signed to Fontana, who were Mercury in the States, and they really wanted to. Paradise Circus was a number ten college hit. I remember so, it well. So, I mean, we had we had a foot in the door, uh, but we were rehearsing in a a farmhouse built in like the seventeen hundreds, mm. and and uh, it didn't have a phone. So we'd have to walk through this field and down these lanes to this phone box outside a pub. And it's like Mercury are trying to break us in America and we're living in a in a farmhouse. <laughs> so it's kind of like not only we made everything as difficult as possible, you know. Uh -huh. But so it's you know, that's it's remarkable that we're still going at all. Yeah. yeah. But I think that after um I love my friends and leaving RCA at that point. I, until I worked with Rob, I never worked with a, a major label again, mm -hmm. and that's that's why we, we didn't tour again because okay. you know you need you needed the we needed the, the support yeah yeah okay and you know I see people touring now and it's got back to the sleeping you know five people in a room and st mm -hmm. staying on the promoter's floor and friends you know mm -hmm. and it's just like God you know it's it's so tough out there. Yeah. I'm curious if the Robbie Williams success, financial success, uh, frees you up to not have to do certain things that you don't want to do, maybe. Um, you tell me. And I know you've had a lot of success in your life. So it's not maybe not just Robbie, but maybe you're thinking, you know, I've I can live without touring. I don't have to do that. Uh well, certainly I mean, I don't even know how many people would turn up. You know, that's mm -hmm. the you know, we're thinking of my of friend Chris out. would. Chris Slemp would show up. He lives in Scotland. Okay, that's that's one. <laughs> yeah, that's one. <laughs> I could go and just play in his house. That's that right. Might be easy, easier for everybody. Yeah. If he's got a, if he's got a spare room, I could do it tonight. I mean, yeah. it's a long way from Cornwall, but there you are. The uh, what were we saying? Well, why not more often? Oh yeah, that's the the thing is uh, when I got back from the Rob tour, we we made an album called Run Out Groove, mm -hmm. and. We we played the Green Man Festival and uh, a, a few gigs, um, the Queen Elizabeth Hall at the Royal Festival Hall, and 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 the record came out and it did absolutely nothing. Uh -huh. And you know we were so used to selling a certain amount of records, so that you knew that the money was coming in, so you could do some, you know, you could tour, you were going to break even. And but the the business had changed, you know, streaming had happened, and uh, and luckily 
I, you know, I was full of myself at that point. You know, I was filming it and I was recording everything on Pro Tools because I kind of, I'd forgotten that I wasn't in the Robbie Williams <laughs> setup, you know. And I, I think it's actually on film when, when the first, you know, it's like you've sold 500 records and it, and it suddenly occurs to me that, you know, that I've, I'm filming it. I've got this Pro Tools rig. It's like this uh, kind of this outlandish expense. Uh-huh. And I suppose that, it, it was at that point i'm i don't remember thinking it but I, I must have thought maybe i'd better save my money mm-hmm. this isn't going to be it's this is not going to be an easy time for the lilac time mm-hmm. and then uh i was 50 so i mean obviously 50 is the is the perfect age for you know a gentleman to get married <laughs> so i got married and, and uh, we i got married to claire and we had it we've got a, a tw- 11 year old now uh so that sort of changed that you yeah. know that those aren't yeah. years you want to miss yeah so that that was also uh something that stopped us touring and strangely well not strangely but awfully um claire got lyme disease oh. you know, from oh. a tick and it's it stopped her being able to play so oh, the, the no. amazing thing um that she sings on this record but that was the first time she'd actually been yeah. able to do any work because oh, it's man. a crazy uh crazy Reverse. just to change people's lives just a yeah. little tick bite and you and you, your life is kind of over so that's been another reason uh but she's you know hopefully she's on the mend now and uh, we look forward to going to play in chris's house <laughs> i'll let him know <laughs> okay we're coming up on time. Uh, I've been. I didn't want to bombard you with Duran Duran questions, but obviously we got a lot of them. I'll summarize it with this. I I do think people often, you know, refer to you as like the Pete Best of Duran Duran. You, my understanding is, I mean, you left when they were still really early and really experimental. There was no Roger yeah. or Andy or Simon, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so when when you saw them, you know, become what they became. Are you and you're still and your music career is doing well, but it's on a totally different trajectory. Do you are you dealing with any angst or frustration or regret? Are you happy for them? Do you? I mean, you obviously stay in touch. Uh, happy. Well, also, um, I just knew that it, I couldn't have done that because I wasn't even comfortable with Kiss Me. You know uh, what I mean? That's that, true. With, Good with that, with that, with that amount of success, and. I've never been, I don't think I could, I, even though I play it acoustically on the few times we play, it, I don't, you know, I can't see myself out there in my 60s yeah. doing stuff uh, that I, I did when I was a kid. In fact, the Lilac Time tried to do one of those things where a band plays their, an early album. We tried mm. to play the first album and halfway through rehearsing, it was like, I can't do this. I'm getting depressed. I don't want to be that person. <laughs> I, you know, he was a, he was a strange boy. He yeah. liked his folk music, but some of these songs are a bit weird. Uh-huh. And uh, so I couldn't do that. So it, it's a commitment. And yeah. also touring with Rob and seeing the enormous pressure. Yeah. And, and you know, the, how difficult it is to kind of communicate to 20,000 people. Yeah. So it, it, I always knew that I'd done the right thing because I would have condemned them to being the support act for Echo and the Bunnymen. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> Did you know that at the time, though, in 1985 or 86, when you're about to put out the uh, ups and downs and they're putting out Seven and the Ragged Tiger and they're taking over the world, uh, even at that point, are you like, man, am I glad I'm not in that band? 
Well, you see, at that point, I was kind of naive. I had no idea about money. You know, I didn't, it, so long as we had enough money uh, to make the next record, that's as yeah. far as I thought. You know, I felt comfortable. I had a little flat, you know. Sure. And, uh, and, and life was compared to now, life was comparatively cheap. Uh, so I had no idea about, you know, the, the enormity of their success and the, uh, you know, the, the amount of the, the wealth that came with that. It was only when we got together to make the, uh, the devil's record that it, it kind of occurred to me uh -huh. that, <laughs> in fact, actually, when I, when I read the Andy Warhol diaries and Nick, Nick was mentioned, I thought, oh, I wouldn't have mind. That would have been nice. <laughs> that would have been nice. Showing yeah, up in Andy Warhol's. Yes, I get it. But I mean, it could have been. Uh, and also, it was fantastic that I was successful uh, in my 40s with Rob, because it meant that I hadn't spent the money by the time I was. Good point. Know, Good point. I think that, uh, and, you know, and they're, and they're still out there doing it. And, my, you know, they, they're one of the few bands who can play for 90 minutes and people know That's all true. the songs. You know. That's true. Everything worked out just as it was supposed to, I guess. Um, yeah, and we're. And we're all friends, so that's that's, that's also great. Stephen, I think you're one of the best there's ever been. I thank you for talking with me. I tried to cover as much of your career as I could. There's so much more that I hope people who don't know will go discover. But I just you're one of the most talented, impressive songwriters that have ever picked up a guitar. Thank you for well, being thank you. Thank you very much. I, I always feel a bit daunted doing interviews because there are so much. I it's know. such a huge, you know, and it's all different. And it you is. could talk about you could all you could talk about one little thing. You could talk about the Doctor Calculus record. I, believe me, I've felt this sense of overwhelm because I've been a fan of yours for a long time, but I don't have every single album. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, where, where do I focus? I mean, there you could, like you said, you could do an hour on Doctor Calculus. You could do an hour just on last days of the last days of summer. You know. So it's so kind I'm, of a, when you put out a record, and you think, oh my god, I'm going to have to go through all of that again. You know, like. <laughs> How how are we going to fit this into an hour? Especially now that it's Zoom and you can see the clock ticking down. So how, I know. We're, we're not going to get there. We're not going to get. We're not going to get it all done. In truth, I would keep going, but I have to take my son to work. But anyway, I uh, I love you a lot. Thank you for being you. Thank you very much. This was great. All right, there you have it, Stephen Duffy, Stephen Tin Tin Duffy, Duffy Tin Tin, Lilac Time, whatever it is. Dr. Calculus. There's a million different things, but all of it is good. So good. I want to close it out with another Lilac Time song. I, The first album, the debut album from 88, that's self-titled, is really beloved. The first one that I remember, probably because it seemed like it was in all the end caps in the record stores and the posters were on the wall, is the second album, Paradise Circus. So I want to close it out with American Eyes, which is the first track from that album. Go back and dig into all of the Lilac Time stuff. You heard a bunch of everything. Go dig into whatever you want. Get into his 90s power pop stuff. Get into the Robbie Williams stuff, his early synth pop stuff, the soundtracks, the side part, whatever it is. All of it is great. I really love him. Now, I want to mention uh, the tie to the Some Kind of Wonderful soundtrack. This weekend, we're putting out a bonus episode. I think I mentioned before, that's my favorite soundtrack of all time. There are some bands on that soundtrack who remain pretty obscure and this weekend we're putting out an, an episode with three of those bands members of lick the tins members of blue room and members of the march violets all three of those bands are featured in the soundtrack we i have kind of shorter interviews with all three of those bands that we're putting into one episode 
and it'll be out this weekend. I'm excited for everybody to hear it. If you don't know the movie or the soundtrack, maybe it's not interesting to you, but I love it and I love those bands and each one has an interesting story. So that's what's coming up this weekend. Next week, it's time for another producer. So that's what's coming up next week is another one of, I know you guys love the producer episodes. It's another one of those big guy in the 70s and 80s, a lot of fun stories. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man, for everything that you do. Uh, guys, you can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter or X or whatever it's called, at The Hustle Pod. Um, bonus material is starting to become a thing again. I've got a deep dive in the, in the can. I've got a book club in the can. I'm working on a promo mode. It's, there's a lot coming down the pike the next little while, okay? Thanks, everybody. We love you.